Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. We're in the season of Eastertide, and what, what we're doing during the six-week celebration of Easter is we are looking at the supremacy of Christ. And we're doing that by looking at the high Christology from the Apostle Paul in two of his epistles, Ephesians and Colossians, three Sundays in each. And so last Sunday we completed three Sundays in Ephesians, and today we've moved over to Colossians to look at some more of this high Christology. So let's Let's just dive right in. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Wow. That's just, that's awesome stuff right there. There are, in in this passage that I've just read, there are no less than a dozen Christological diamonds. Here, I'll I'll just point them out. For example, from this passage we learn that Christ has rescued us from the power of darkness. You know, people talk about freedom and liberty, but the truth is that we're held captives by sin, death, and Satan. Until Jesus comes and sets the hostages free. Christ has transferred us into the kingdom of love. So he rescues us, but doesn't just turn us loose. He then transfers us into another kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of sin, the kingdom of death, the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of the love of the Son of God. So that salvation, perhaps, is best understood as a kind of belonging. There's no private salvation. There's no private Savior. You are rescued by Christ out of darkness and then brought into a kingdom and joined with others. Christ has redeemed us and forgiven our sins. That's perhaps our first experience of salvation is the forgiveness of sins. Christ is the image, that is the icon, that's the word, of the invisible God. We don't know what God is like until we see God fully revealed in Christ. God is like Jesus. 
Christ is the firstborn over all creation. So Christ has the right of rulership in the cosmos. Christ is the creator of all things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. And apart from Him, nothing was made that was made. Yes, indeed, Christ is the creator of all things. Christ holds all things together. Ooh, that's a mysterious one. Christ is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the head of the body, the church. You can't decapitate Christ. You don't get the head without the body. Mm, No. To, To come to Christ is also to be participating in his body, the church. Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus went down into death to rescue those that were among the dead. On Orthodox Easter, we'll say it again, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. Christ has first place in everything. This is the supremacy of Christ. Christ is the fullness of God, fully God, fully human. Christ has reconciled all things to himself. This is what the Apostle Peter calls apocatastasis, universal restoration. Well, 12 Christological diamonds. I cannot possibly preach on all 12 of these diamonds in one sermon, so I'll pick one. I'll choose the seventh diamond. Christ holds all things together. Colossians 1.17 In him, all things hold together. Today I want to preach about how Jesus is the center that holds. Now, to understand the sermon title, and really the sermon itself, we first need to talk about a poet. William Butler Yeats. Maybe you've heard of it. Great Irish poet. He was born in 1865 near Dublin, started writing poetry. At age 17, it became his calling in his career. In 1923, at the age of 58, he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. Easily, far and away, his most famous poem is a poem called The Second Coming. He wrote it just about 100 years ago. In the aftermath of World War I and the global pandemic that had killed millions of people. In the aftermath of that, he writes his most famous poem, The Second Coming. The poem is about a world coming undone, about a world falling apart. And it also seems to anticipate, at least to my mind, it seems to anticipate in my mind, quite clearly, the rise of Nazi Germany. He was doing this in 1919-1920. Even though Nazi Germany, the rise of it is about 10 years off. But we should not be surprised that a poet could be prophetic because the poetic and the prophetic are related. All right, I want to read you the poem. I know some of you aren't like, you know, big on poetry. Hang in there. It's good for you. Much of the Bible's poetry. 
is The Second Coming by William Butler Yeats. I'm going to read it once and then I'm going to kind of help you uh, unpack it a little bit if it's, if it's a struggle for you to see what's going on here. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image of spiritus mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs, while all about it real shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again. But now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast its hour come round at last slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Okay. Written in the aftermath of World War I, humanity had never seen mechanized war like this with millions slaughtered. And virtually at the same time, a global pandemic out of control and millions dying. And so he writes a poem. Turning and turning in the winding gyre, that's a vortex, a whirlwind of something's coming. It's kind of ominous. The falcon cannot hear the falcon, or we are the falcon, God is the falcon, but there's something disrupting. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. Society and everything else seems to be breaking down. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. That's World War I. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passion and intensity. That's the internet. <laughs> the noble are apathetic, while the rabble are energized. Whew. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. I mean, is there eschatological hope? The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image of spiritus moon die. The spirit of the world, the spirit of the age, the spirit of the time, the zeitgeist. And now Yates is going to show you what he thinks is the zeitgeist, you know, in 1919, 1920, 1921. Troubles my sight. He has this vision. Somewhere in sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man. The sphinx is this image. It's a beast. A gaze blank and pitiless as the sun. This beast is coming alive. It's moving its slow thighs while all about it real shadows of the indignant desert birds. It's ominous. It's an ominous scene. The darkness drops again, but now I know. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. That 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. Christendom is beginning to crack. And what rough beast its hour come round at last slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. So, so what... What beast that's going to bring so much evil into the world is about to be born? Slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Well, it turns out it wasn't born in Bethlehem. It was born in Berlin. In its own way, Yeats's second coming poem is prophetically true. 
I mean, the two most famous lines in the poem, and it is quite a famous poem. The two most famous lines in the poem, things fall apart, the sinner cannot hold, and what rough beast slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. In its own way, this poem is prophetically true. Things do fall apart, and most centers cannot hold. Rough beasts do slouch toward their Bethlehem to be born. I mean, this, this is the vision that the prophet Daniel saw. We're going to look at the book of Daniel here in a few weeks. But this is the vision of Daniel, of seeing beasts that are beginning to rise up and bring suffering to the world. My point is, Yates isn't wrong. Yates is not wrong. But Paul's theopoetics in Colossians rises to the greater heights of truth. Heights of truth that we need lest we despair. And Christians have no business in despairing for the world. I know, I know things fall apart. I know that we can look, up, if we just want to look in a certain way, we can look upon the world and we can see all that is wrong and we can despair. But Christians have no business despairing over the world because we believe that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So we are a people of undaunted hope, even for this world. So, even if a century ago, Yeats saw global peace and global health fall apart because the center cannot hold, a center of enlightenment-based progress cannot hold, still, Christ can hold all things together. No matter what rough beasts are slouching towards their Bethlehem to be born. Because there is a slain and risen lamb who has given dominion over all the rough beasts. Worthy is the lamb. The center that holds. Okay, watch this. The roughest of all the rough beasts is death itself. Death is the ultimate falling apart, the ultimate disillusion. Everything falls apart when the center of mortal life cannot hold. With death comes decay, decomposition, the final dissolution of all things. All things fall apart because the center of mortal life cannot hold. But, I'm telling you, one Sunday I'm going to come in here and my whole sermon is going to be me just pointing at this. In Him, all things hold together. Whoo! What, what is Christ doing in this icon? What is he doing? He's holding it all together. He's laying hold of Adam, Adam, human. He's laying hold of Eve, Eva, life. In him, all things hold together. He's laying hold of humanity, human life, holding it together. Look at it. Everybody look at it. You know what this is? The center that holds. 
the center that holds. And death things fall apart. We fall apart. The worms have their way. And eventually we are forgotten. Give it a few generations. Your kids will remember, your grandkids will remember, maybe great-grandkids, great-great, I wouldn't count on it. Started getting five, six, seven, eight generations away and no one ever knew, knew you were even here. Forgotten. But he remembers. When everyone else has forgotten you, Christ remembers you. And if Christ remembers you, then Christ can remember you. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. But Christ remembers you. And if Christ remembers you, He can pull you back together. In Him all things hold together. He's the center that holds. All right, let's go back to Paul's Theopoetics in Colossians 1. Listen to all of the all things. In Him all things in heaven and earth were created. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Only the Creator has the capacity to hold creation together. Only the Creator has the capacity to hold creation together, and Christ is the Creator. That's what Paul says. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Christ is the agent of creation in the Godhead. All things are created not only through Him, but for Him. It's Christ's cosmos. Is Christ going to let His cosmos fall apart? No way. Christ did not create the cosmos and then withdraw from it. This is, this is 18th century deism. This is, you know, the bland belief in a non-interventionist God. You know, that, that at some point in the past, God and Christ creates and then said, you're on your own. I'll get the ball rolling and see what y'all do with it. And at best, in deism, God stands at a great distance and may behold it. But doesn't care for it, doesn't intervene with it. This, you know, this is the religion of the 18th century deists. Jefferson and Franklin and Thomas Paine and those guys. To which I say, no, no, no. Christ sustains all creation through active participation. Christ sustains all of creation. See, don't, don't get this idea that in the beginning God said, let there be, and then he walked away from it. Creation is being sustained right now by the word of Christ, by the active participation of the word of Christ. In him all things hold together. Every star and galaxy, every blade of grass and every grain of sand is sustained and continues to exist because the word of Christ 
continues to actively hold it all together. Think of the Logos, the Word of Christ, as at every single moment, actively participating in every star, every galaxy, every blade of grass, every grain of sand, sustaining it all. Whew. I'm getting dizzy. Just like last week, we've climbed so high. We've climbed to the summit of high Christology, and it's like, whoa, I'm a little dizzy here. The air's thin up here. It's bracing, but it's thin air. So let's, let's climb down a little lower. Let's come down to some lower elevations. And let's say this. Our lives need an organizing center with enough spiritual gravity so that we can keep it together. Come on, how many of you know you need to keep it together? But we can't keep it together just by willpower. Our lives need an organizing center with enough spiritual gravity so we can keep it together. When things are falling apart, sometimes they don't fall apart, sometimes they fly apart. When things are falling apart or flying apart, we need a center that holds. Perry's favorite novel is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's not about divorce. Somebody said there one time, well, how can a divorce be great? No, it's about hell taking a bus trip to heaven. It's a fantasy novel filled with good theology. And in C.S. Lewis's novel, The Great Divorce, hell depicted as a dreary gray town. In that hell, everyone is always moving further and further and further apart. Just, everybody's just always moving further away. There's nothing to hold them together. At every offense, they move further and further away. So is it true that in the end, only Christ can hold all things together? I believe so. Our lives need an organizing center with enough spiritual gravity so that we can hold it together. Family and friends, careers and causes, even things like hobbies and interests, those are all good things. But they lack sufficient spiritual gravity to keep us properly centered. Christ alone is the center that holds. When the center is Christ, when the center, at the, when the, at the center of our life is Christ, many good, beautiful, wonderful things find their appropriate place. But Christ alone can be the proper center. This is how to organize your life. Christ at the center. In Him, all things. You want to keep it together? Make sure Christ occupies this place. Because if anything else, and it doesn't matter, it can be a very good thing. If anything else, imagine, imagine taking Christ out of this place. 
position here and put something else. It can be something good. But if you put anything other than Christ right here, we have a word for that thing. What is it? Put something other than Christ there, what is it? It's an idol. It's an idol. And idols can't keep it together. Idols can't hold all things together. Idols don't have the center that holds. Idols always fall apart, in fact. That's the thing about idols. Idols always fall apart. There's a strange, interesting, somewhat humorous story in 1 Samuel chapter 5. It takes place in the days of the prophet Samuel before the kings of Israel. And in the days of Samuel, the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. We've got ourselves a lost uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark situation here. Yeah, you may not know your Bible, but you know Raiders of the Lost Ark. That Ark. The Philistines captured Israel's Ark of the Covenant. And they were ecstatic about this. They saw that as a great triumph of their gods over the God of Israel. And so they took the ark as a the spoils of war and they brought it to Ashdod, one of the principal cities of the Philistines. And they placed it in their temple there as the spoils of victory, as tribute unto their God. And this was in the temple of Dagon. Dagon was the fish god, a merman, if you will. This, this is a depiction of Dagon, one of the chief gods of the Philistines. And when they had raided and captured the ark, and they brought it to the temple of Dagon, and they put it in that temple as tribute to Dagon. The next morning when the priests of the temple came to perform their devotion and their prayers and their incense before Dagon, when they walked into the temple... It was a very embarrassing situation. Dagon, the idol, had fallen on its face before the Ark of the Covenant. This is an embarrassing thing. If, if you're a priest of Dagon, this is, this is embarrassing. You just hope nobody sees it. And so they, they, they put it, let's, let's help him up. Look, I don't need any God that I need to help up. The moment I start have, having to prop up my God, I'm getting a new God. And so they, they okay, let's help. Let's get him back up. And, they, and so they got, well, he doesn't have feet. They got him back on his whatever that is. They got him up. Next morning, the priest of Dagon come into the temple. And again, Dagon has fallen on his face. But this time, his head and his hands have broken in pieces. His feet would have broken in pieces, but didn't have any. So, <laughs> Idols always fall apart. Idols always let you down. And as, if you continue to read the story, what happens next is Philistine society begins to fall apart. When your idols fall apart, your life falls apart, and idols always fall apart. Right? So anything, 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 it can be a good thing. It can be family, friends, career, 
causes, anything you put here, politics, God help you. God help you. You put anything else here, it becomes an idol. It could be good in and of itself. See, if Christ is here, there's all kinds of good things here. But if we take her, I don't know who she is, but if we take her and put her here, she's good, but now she becomes an idol, and idols always fall apart, and when idols fall apart, your life falls apart. So the sermon is as simple as this. Yates was true 100 years ago. I mean, he spoke a true prophetic word. Things fall apart, the sinner cannot hold. But in Christ, all things hold together. Christ is the center that holds. Now let's pray. Maybe just bow your head. Just try to slip into a state of prayer for just a moment. Maybe you recognize that in some ways Jesus Christ is somehow really not at the center of your life but on the periphery. You, you like Jesus. He has some role in your life, but he's actually not in the center. Well, if he's not in the center, then something else is. And eventually it's going to fall apart. We need, we need something at the center of our life that has enough spiritual gravity so we can keep it together. So maybe invite Jesus again. Just pray like this. Say, Lord Jesus, come and be at the center of my life. Displace any idol. Anything that I've put, even if it's a good thing, if I put it at the center of my life, if it's friends, if it's family, if it's some cause that in itself is good, and yet I've made it the center of my life, Jesus, I invite you to come. Come now. Come now and occupy the center of my life that you might be the organizing center so that all things hold together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Be at the center of our life. Jesus, sometimes we really do feel like it's all falling apart, flying apart. The center cannot hold. It's coming undone. Jesus, Be the one that comes and says, I got you. You take hold of us. And Jesus, you say, I've got you. You're at the center and you reach out and you, 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 you hold it together for us. Jesus, thank you. You are the center that holds. In you, all things hold together. We praise and worship you. Amen and amen. Now stand with me. Let's first confess our faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, the one who holds all things together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's confess our sins and receive the Lord's forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your way to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And now we come to the table. This is the center that holds. Christ says, this is my body broken for you, my blood shed for you. In light of this sermon, I could also imagine Jesus saying, come together right now over me. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here.